titled this message, Spiritual Gifts, Part 2. Spiritual Gifts, Part 2. There will be multiple, uh, there will be more spiritual gifts in future sermons, so there will be a, probably a three and four potentially as well. But today we are considering Part 2, which is the second half of this chapter from verses 12 through 31. Verses 12 to 31. So our first point, we have a couple of uh, basic slides for this. So our first slide is diversity. Our first point is diversity in the body. Diversity in the body, verses 12 through 19. Our text says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. I divided this first point into two points, and so the first is verses 12 through 14 which is what I just read, verses 12 through 14. Christ's body, the church, is not made up of one member or one part, but is made up of many parts. His body is not one big brain or one big heart or one big eyeball, but is made up of many parts. So let me reread that. Christ's body is not made up of one member, but of many. Christ's body is not made up of one member, but of many. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and all have been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. The spirit is the one who has made us one. The spirit is the one who brings a diverse group of people that has more than one person and more than one type of person in it, such as this, and brings this gathering together and makes them one. The unity that we share at PBC is not a unity around favorite pastimes. It's not a unity around hobbies or sports teams or country of origin or favorite language or type of food or hair color or eye color or skin color, but our unity is a unity that is brought about by God, specifically the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who has made us one. Verse 13 says, by one Spirit we were baptized into one body. We are not baptized into the body by multiple different spirits. There are different spirits out there, but there is only one Holy Spirit, There are evil spirits that exist that are very interested in having you follow their way, follow their path, follow their religion, follow their way of doing things. And when you are, let's just say, baptized into these evil spirits, you are not made one in the body of Christ. Rather, you are made one into that spirit. Yesterday, I was walking uh, back from the Upper West Side down to our apartment in Midtown. And as I crossed the corner of Central Park South and Central Park West, just that that corner of the park, um, turned the corner and there is this group of people that are Hare Krishnas. Have you seen them? Raise your hand if you've seen them. Hare Krishnas. Okay, so they're the group of white people that um, want to be monks. And so they wear these orange outfits and cut their hair in funny ways. And they just sit there by the hour chanting Hari, Hari, Krishna, Krishna, Hari, Krishna, et cetera. Just beating drums in this just monotonous way that makes your mind go numb. And their minds are very clearly numb as well. Uh, based Just looking at their facial expressions, like they're, the light is on, but nobody's home. There is some kind of spirit at play there. And I think it's the same spirit amongst them. The facial expressions, the, the trance that they're in. There are other spirits out there and those spirits bring people in line with their agendas and with their beliefs and their practices. We are made one by the Holy Spirit. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body. That one body is the body of Christ. 
This action of the Holy Spirit making us one, though we come from varied backgrounds, we have different origins, different states in the United States we're from, different countries that we're from, different skills, different passions, different abilities, we are made one, and so we have unity. This unity in the body can at times be difficult when the varied members come together and expect others to be more similar to themselves than God has designed them to be. While I've spent the first couple of moments talking about the unity of the body, this is actually the point about the diversity of the body, so we need to emphasize that. There is a great diversity in the body of Christ. We follow the same Christ. So unity and even uniformity in doctrine is to be expected. When we speak, or when I speak about diversity, I'm not talking about diversity of belief. Saying, oh, well, you're a Christian, and I'm a Buddhist, and he's a Mormon, but we can all be part of the same church because we're just, you know, we're just one. That's not what we're talking about. I'm saying, Miss Nancy here is from New York, right? She lived in the Lower East Side for a long time. I'm from Central Florida, very different. The things that she's seen are very different from the things that I've seen in my life. Her background could not be more different from my background, yet we are one in Christ. And it is the same for each one who is truly in Christ. Though we have great diversity, we have incredible differences that are so stark, if we were to put them on paper, you would say, these things are not compatible. I mean, she likes ceviche, right? You like ceviche? Yeah. I don't understand that. (laughs) But there are people that like ceviche in this church. I, I I don't get it. But what brings us together is not a shared appetite. What brings us together, what makes us united is not in our food, but it is in Christ. Members of the church may not only have trouble, having trouble passively, but some members in the church might cause trouble actively when they think that everybody needs to have the same gifts and passions as they have. When people, she's not doing this, but when people say, well, you need to like ceviche too. And you're just like, oh, please no. I don't do fish. I certainly don't do cold fish. Certainly don't do cold fish that's salad. That's like, no, 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 on multiple levels. I can't deal with that. And then the the ceviche party is like, well, if you were really spiritual, then you would. When people adopt that type of attitude, when people press in on others expecting or implying or demanding that they be more similar and more aligned than God has made them to be, that type of person not only has trouble, but they cause trouble. They're not victims of disagreement. They are the perpetrator. They are the causer of division. This is true in particular in our text concerning spiritual gifts, not just food preferences, but gifts and abilities. Our text speaks of the human body as the illustration that is the abiding metaphor that that Jesus gave in the first century, and we carry it on into the present with our term member, but what he means is member of the body, and so he's talking about body parts. So, when the hands expect the elbow to be passionate about gloves, the hands are causing trouble that they should not be causing, because elbows don't need gloves. And so they're going to have different passions, they're going to have different skill sets, they're going to have different uses. And when one part of the body tries to press on the other a particular passion or skill or desire, they cause problems. When the feet expect the liver to get excited about shoes, they are causing problems. When the eyes want the biceps to be deeply interested in glasses, 
they cause problems. And problems that should be obviously unnecessary. These are the types of problems that really could just use someone coming up to them, approaching them, and very kindly, very gently saying, would you knock it off? Like, there, there is no middle ground needed. You just need to stop. You just need to stop trying to make everybody passionate about eyeglasses because the liver doesn't need eyeglasses. That's your particular hobby, your particular ministry, your particular strong point, and that's great. And we want to affirm that, but not everybody needs that. Not everybody needs to do that. Not everybody even needs to own those glasses. So what happens is in these various body parts, they they have to be able to work together and they have to be able to get along with one another while recognizing their differences, yet their unity, they're united in Christ, their, their aim is to accomplish the same mission, the Great Commission, but they have different places and different parts to play in the whole. We must not insist that everyone have identical giftings. We must not insist that everyone have identical abilities or identical passions. Have you ever met someone who is deeply committed to fighting human trafficking? They're out there. It's a good cause. It's a worthy cause. There's a lot of causes. Not everybody's cause needs to be everybody's cause. Why? Because it's, well, first off, practically, it's just impossible. You can't be 100% committed to absolutely everything that each person comes up with. Adoption. Some people just so passionate about adopting babies. That's great. It's wonderful. I would love to adopt. But not everybody can adopt. Not everybody, like, just... Just get around the church and talk to people and you will find out like, okay, this is not someone who would be cut out for this type of thing. So I should not be pressing on them. Hey, you need to adopt a baby. Like, no, that's, that's crazy. Some should, some could, but it's not for everyone. And dare I get myself into trouble? The same is true of uh, anti-abortion ministry. It's not everyone's ministry. It's for some The entire church can participate in some way, but not everyone has the same gift or ability. And yes, there is a gift and ability associated with that. And I stand by that. Same with preaching and teaching. There is an idea out there that that every man who is a Christian should be a preacher. It's just not true. It's not true. Some can't. And they spend an an enormous amount of time trying to develop the ability to do so. And they're scared. They're dripping with sweat. Their knees are knocking. And you're scared listening to them because you're just like, oh boy, what's about to happen? Is he going ha- to collapse? And is he going to faint and pass out because he's just so frightened by what he's trying to do right now? I wish that he would just stop because, because we don't know what's going to happen. That type of person in that type of scenario is not someone who has the gift of teaching or preaching. Rather, they have gifts of service. Because broadly speaking, all spiritual gifts fit into two buckets, one of serving and one of speaking. So when people who have particular gifts try to press their passions onto other people, it causes problems. It causes disunity in the body. God has given us diversity in the body as a gift, but it is very natural for people when they are not walking in step with the Spirit to take those gifts and turn them upside down into something actually harmful and negative. Think about the baseball metaphor. It wouldn't be a sermon without a baseball illustration and without an illustration related to my son. So here we are. Um, If every player was expected to be a pitcher 
And the pitchers said, well, why aren't you a pitcher? You should be a pitcher. Well, who's going to catch? The umpire's just going to stand. They're getting hit by the pitch with no catcher. There's no fielders out in the field. Well, some pitchers are good enough that they can just strike everybody out, but not everybody is that good. You need a whole team. You need a first baseman. And the first baseman needs to be a little taller. You're not going to work with the five foot four guy at first base. You need the guy who's six foot four at first base. Ideally left-handed. If you don't know why, we can talk about that later. But a left-handed first baseman is, is gold. Like that's, that's what you want. A left-handed shortstop is not. You don't want that. A left-handed third baseman is even weirder. But a left-handed first baseman is where it's at, especially someone who's big and strong and slow and can hit home runs. That's what you're looking for. (laughs) But when people are criticizing each other for not having the same skill set as them, their differences were designed to be gifts, but instead they're turning it into something more like a curse. And they're causing problems. They're causing harm within the church. This was happening at the church in Corinth. The diversity of gifts, the diversity of people that the Lord has brought into the church are seeing their differences not as a blessing, but as a problem. And so they're cultivating problems amongst themselves because they don't have the maturity to look across the room, to see someone and say, praise the Lord that they have different talents than I do. It's beyond just talents. It includes ethnic backgrounds. It includes economic backgrounds. And these are the two things mentioned right here in this text. You have um, the reference to verse, verse 13, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. The Lord has saved people from various ethnic backgrounds. Broadly speaking, we just call them either Jews or Gentiles. But there's a lot of different ethnic backgrounds that people that, that God calls to himself. And those differences can cause friction, believe it or not. Those differences can cause conflict over expectations. And it's even, I mean, you know this, but I think that some sociologists or the, the modern like kind of pop sociologists forget about this. They're just like, oh, it's all about whether you're black or white. But there's actually subsets underneath of each of these, and and for example, not all Asian people get along. Just being black doesn't mean that you're going to get along. And the Lord knows the history of the white Europeans and like the Irish and the Germans and the French and the English. So the fact that you have a particular skin color doesn't actually mean anything But your nation of origin, those backgrounds, there's a lot of baggage that can come in the history of the conflicts between various people. That's just speaking about ethnic stuff. Now let's talk about money. Can you imagine any possible scenario in which uh, an economic background could cause some differences of ways of doing things? whether slave or free. I mean, this, the, the illustration in this text is about the most extreme you could get. The, the poor people in this text are slaves, which is poorer than any of y'all. Even if you are dead broke and you have $3 to your name, that's more money than the slaves had. And so imagine that you are in one congregation where there's literally someone sitting right here in the second row who is owned by someone else. Imagine that someone else is even in the church. Now, it's not an American slavery type thing. It's an economic thing. And it was someone who like, got way in over, over their head financially. They were declaring bankruptcy. And the rich person was like, hey, I can... like." help you out, but like, you're going to need to work for me for 14 years. And what we call that is slavery. So you're going to come live in my house, eat my food, sit at my table, sleep in my slave quarters, and you're going to work for the business until the time is up, at which point I will have completely paid for your debt. And so that person, whenever the church is planning their church-wide retreat, they want to go. But they have to ask their owner, hey, can I go 
on the retreat. And the owner says, well, actually, um, I'm going to be out of town those days and I need you to stay back and take care of the property. There are countless scenarios that could be imagined where an economic difference can cause hardship or strain within the church. There is diversity in the church. In Corinth, you had Jewish background believers, you had Gentile believers, you had freemen and slaves. Can they get along naturally in the flesh? It's not likely. In the flesh, they would look the way they look in 1 Corinthians. There's factions, there's divisions, there's this group versus that group. Now, can they set aside their strongly held traditions for the sake of unity in Christ? Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. But more than that, it is, it is necessary. It is necessary to be willing to set aside your preferences, your traditions, your ways of doing things, even your expectations. It is necessary to set aside those things if the church is to grow in the ways that it needs to grow. So think with me. Stick, stick with the body metaphor. And here's the baby illustration. So if my son who is now 10, coming up on 11 months old. He has a left arm and a right arm, but we're talking about his left arm right now. Hopefully you've seen his left arm recently, but if you haven't, I'll just tell you, it's about this big, okay? So let's say that his left arm doesn't grow, but the rest of his body does grow. And he grows, and he goes from being, I don't know, 25 inches tall or 30, I don't know how tall he is, but let's say he, he continues growing, and, and he's five years old, six years old, seven years old, eight years, he's 10 years old. Oh, this will be great. We're going to mix the baseball and the baby illustration. So he's playing baseball. He's 10 years old, but his left arm hasn't grown. It's still this big, but his right arm is like normal size. He hasn't, he, his left arm hasn't grown. He's not going to be able to function very well. Not just his left arm, but his whole body. He's not going to be able to perform the way he ought to if his left arm hasn't grown. Now, can he overcome that? Yes, it's possible. Yes, I've heard of Jim Abbott, the guy who only had one hand. People can do amazing things on the baseball field, but that's not Normal, and it takes an enormous amount of overcompensation in order to accomplish that. It's not healthy. It causes other problems. When your left foot isn't working right and so you have to walk differently, it throws off your back. It's not good. Yes, you can survive, but it's not the way things are supposed to be. So he's not going to function well. Sure, he might be able to figure it out, but it's going to look strange and he will have a lifelong handicap. This is a visual, this is an illustration of what happens when various members of the body of Christ don't grow as they should grow. When that happens, the local church is handicapped in various ways. Others may have to compensate for them, which is fine on occasion. On occasion, when, you know, someone's out of town and they're like, hey, can you can you take care of the AV stuff? Sure, I can, I can do that. But you can't just like compensate for them forever, indefinitely. If it goes on indefinitely where a part of the body is not functioning properly or is absent completely, that will cause other problems or injuries. So when the one group within the church can't or won't get over themselves, and they are unwilling to minister to others who are different from them, there will be collateral damage. There will be harm to the body of Christ when this sets in, when this becomes a thing. When the Jewish background believer walks into the church, the visitor who is of Jewish origin walks into the church and no Gentiles willing to put down their cheeseburger and walk over to them, what is the outcome? The outcome is that that one is not very likely to come back. Oh, but pastor, you're supposed to do everything. 
Pastor, you're supposed to look after everyone. You're supposed to greet all the visitors and make sure that everyone feels amazing and is perfectly content at all times. It is your job to attend to every problem. Funny you should say that. That would not be accurate. Now, I'm glad that none of you think this way, but I'm told that some people in some other churches think that way. Namely, my dad has told me that he has encountered a number of people who just sit back and be like, well, pastor, someone should should do the thing. In case you haven't read Ephesians 4.12 recently, Ephesians 4.12 says that it's the pastor's job to equip the saints to do the the work of the ministry. So church is, in a primary sense, an equipping center, and the level to which you get equipped has a one-to-one correlation to how much ministry you can do, and the way in which you're going to get equipped has a one-to-one correlation to how much you show up. There are more factors than just showing up to getting equipped, but this is the foundational one. This is the most basic one. Think of church like a gym. It's a training center for developing your muscles. Sure, you could work out in your living room, but are you going to? You're not as likely to. You say, well, pastor, I read my Bible on my own every single day. That's amazing. I'm glad that you do. But church is more than just reading the Bible. Not merely showing up at the gym. Showing up at the gym doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get stronger, though. You might do like this one guy I've seen a hundred times at the gym who literally walks around with a towel on his head. He just has a towel draped over his head. I think he thinks it's funny. I don't know. He just walks around doing nothing, talking to all his gym buddies. These are like the retired people. They just hang out by the hour. And he just kind of shuffles along and walks up to the person. And none of them are working out. They're just like standing there. This man is not making progress on his fitness goals. I don't know what they are, but I know he's not making progress. You can tell. What he's doing is he is not working out. There are lots of ways you can not make goals or progress at the gym beyond just not working out. Maybe you're spending all your time on your phone not working out at the gym. Merely showing up at the gym does not guarantee growth in your fitness goals. But showing up is the first step. So what are some ways in which we would miss out on growth at church? Well, the the list is only limited by your imagination, but some would just be being on our phones. I will admit, I was at a Saturday church service yesterday, not it was a, like an eight-person house church style thing, and I, I attended it just at the invite of um, a friend. And it was there were moments where I was like, "Well, okay, let me see if anything interesting is happening because this is this is rough." I understand that. Hopefully, it's not like that here every week, but I would pray that if and when it is like that, that that. You would just leave your phone on the ground or leave your phone in your purse or in your pocket and pray for the Lord's help to focus and to pay attention. But when we are playing games on our phones or or surfing social media, we are missing out on growth at church, not paying attention. There are countless reasons and ways that we would not pay attention beyond just our phones, but just having our minds wandering, that can cause us to miss out on growth. Also, staying up too late on Saturday nights causes us to be too tired to stay awake for church on Sunday mornings. Not coming regularly causes us to miss out on things because did you know there's a little bit of continuity from week to week? And so if you can catch all of the messages and you can interact with all of the people or whatever, like when, when you're able to tie into that continuity, you have much more growth. In the same way with the gym, if you're going regularly, you're able to build on the progress that you made instead of taking one step forward and three steps back and one step forward and three steps back. When you have to miss church, you can help offset that by catching up with the messages and the videos online. But when you don't do that, that's just taking the steps back. You're, you're, you're missing things. Where hopefully the rest of the body is growing. Think of the 
baby illustration with the left arm that's not growing. Hopefully the entire body is growing. And I want you as a part of the body to be growing as well along, along with it. Moving forward, verses 15 through, by the way, what I just said, this applies to everybody. It's not just the new Christian. It's not just the one who is like uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, moved to New York for school, got saved five minutes ago, wandered in the door of the church, and here they are to grow like a weed. That's great. I love it when that happens. It happens a lot. But this is also true for people who are 40 years old or 50 years old or 70 years old. There are things for you to grow in as well, which might actually involve some changing in your beliefs. For some, coming to Christ. Older people can get saved too. Verse, uh, moving on, uh, subpoint B, verses 15 through 19. Because every body part has a purpose and design, members should set aside jealousy and comparison and instead embrace their own particular calling, which is their gift set sanctified for the master's use. Because every body part has a purpose and design, members should set aside jealousy and comparison and instead embrace their calling, which is their gift set sanctified for the master's use. Verse 15 says, If the foot should say, Because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, what would be the hearing? Or if the whole were hearing, what would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? So you might be wondering, how do I find my calling? Andy, you just talked about a particular calling. How do I find my calling? Well, I'm glad you asked. Here's what it is. Okay, are you ready? Ready to write down? Be yourself full of Christ. Be yourself full of Christ. Just you as you are is not good enough. Me, by my nature, is not, uh, I don't like myself, okay? Why would you like me? But when Christ comes in you, when he takes up residence in you and starts the demo work, renovating, tearing out the things that are rotten and replacing them with things that are good, gradually you become useful for good causes. Gradually you become fit for the master's use. You're still going to be uniquely you. You're not going to be identical to anybody else, even if you're a twin. But what makes you useful is fullness of Christ. Some people will never figure out what God's purpose is for them because they're too busy focusing on themselves, their name, their ego, their agenda, getting the last word in, making sure that everybody knows that they know everything. So they drive people away because one word defines them, and it is this word, Caustic. Caustic. If you don't know what that is, I'm about to describe it. This is a person who is human-shaped battery acid. They're splashing everywhere. They're corrosive and dreadful. They are themselves, but not full of Christ. And you don't want to be around them. And they're mad that you don't want to be around them. It's your fault that you don't want to be around them. That type of person is never going to figure out God's purpose for them. In all likelihood, they need to get saved. Oh, but I believe in Jesus. The demons also believe and tremble. What has Jesus done in your heart? What has he done in your life? So when people want to figure out their gifts, they have to set aside the hellish curses that come more naturally to them that we would call the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Galatians 5.19, verse 20 goes on to say, people who do these things don't go to heaven. 
I'm not implying that you're saved by your works, but I am implying that a person who is saved is saved, and they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and they begin to grow. So how do you find your calling? Well, you be yourself full of Christ. And the more that is the case, the more the Lord will put you to work for his purposes and his causes. Point two, unity in the body. So we have a next slide. Verses 20 through 26. It says, but now indeed there are many members yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you, nor much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker. They're necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given great honor to that part which it lacks, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Before we move on, I need to say something that I've been thinking about, but it's not in my notes. Um, some people have this idea that it's bad or it's, it's, it's wrong for a church to need its members. And by that, I mean, like, when someone moves away, it hurts the church. And if you acknowledge that, then you're in the wrong for acknowledging that. The metaphor of the body tells us that that's nonsense. If you saw off your arm, you'll feel it. And it is Gnostic nonsense to say that that's not the case. What is Gnostic? What is Gnosticism? Gnosticism is this extreme separation between the physical and the spiritual, where you'd say, oh, well, you know, you, you have Christ, so, so you don't need your right arm. That's nonsense. It's normal for us to grieve the loss of Caitlin and Andrew. It's appropriate for us to grieve that loss and to just be honest and say, we miss them and it's not the same without them here. We're sad that they're gone and it is a loss and it is a genuine loss. We're not mad at them for leaving, of course not. There are reasons why they had to go, but we feel it and they feel it. And it's okay to own that. And that's true of most people who leave. Now, back to our text. Uh, on this, um, the, these members of the body who we think to be less honorable, uh, we bestow greater honor. The weak and despised members of the body have valuable roles to play. I think of churches that I've known through the years that had members with mental disabilities. And by mental disability, I don't just mean like, oh, I get anxiety when I go to the doctor's office. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like Down syndrome. So let's say that there is a young man or an old man who has Down syndrome in the church and his name is Charlie. Charlie is 52 years old and he still lives with his parents because he can't live on his own. His parents are in their 70s and all of them are part of the church. Now, how is that situation going to benefit you? How is Charlie's membership, which Charlie could totally be a member of the church. All he has to believe is believe in Jesus, be baptized, come into like... Is not rocket science, and plenty of people with very low IQs have come to Christ. What is Charlie going to teach you about the Christian life? Well, he might not ever give a sermon, he might not ever lead a small group, but perhaps he will give you an opportunity to learn to love people and to learn to love people who you have nothing to gain from. See, we usually love people in ways that are kind of transactional. 
We love them because they first gave stuff to us. And if we're nice to them, they will keep giving stuff to us. But there's people out there that have nothing to offer you whatsoever. And when you can learn to love like that, that's when you're starting to learn God's love. People who can do nothing to help you, nothing to benefit you. It's not helpful for your career to be nice to them. But they provide you with an opportunity week after week after week to learn to put yourself aside and to show self-sacrificial love. To pick up the older lady and to give her a ride both to church and home from church, even if it means your friend can't fit in your car and so your friend who you would rather give a ride to has to take the train. When I talk about sacrifice, like it's practical. But they'll be fine. A 25-year-old on the train is much better than a 75-year-old on a train. Or more realistically, a 75-year-old not on the train who is just not going to make it, not going to come to church. If they don't have a way to get there, they're not going to be here. Verse 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Some people in this church have self-sacrificial care for others. Perhaps a great many have self-sacrificial care for others. They wake up in the morning and they're thinking of self-sacrificial care for others. They come to church and they're thinking self-sacrificial care for others. What can I do to serve this body of believers? What can I do to bless other people? They are deferential to the desires and the well-being of others. Some people in our church are like that. But other people in our church have not a self-sacrificial care for others. They have a self-centered care for themselves. So that self-centered care for themselves plows over other people who are the ones who sacrifice. I want to do this thing, and I don't care who's treated poorly in the process. I don't care about the limitations of others. I don't care about the health needs of others. I don't care about their fears or their insecurities or their dietary restrictions or their schedule or their budget. I want what I want, and I'm going to treat others badly along the way just to make sure that I get what I want. So, I'll make up a ridiculous illustration lest you think that I'm talking about you. There are four things that I don't like. Heights, sharks, dogs, slash aggressive dogs, slash untrained dogs, slash poorly behaved dogs, and vegan food. So, these are the four things I don't like. There may be others, but... We're going to work with these for the sake of this made-up story. Once upon a time, again, this is made up, so a birthday party was being planned for me, and a small committee of volunteers formed to pull together the plans. Three of the people were brainstorming with ideas about things that they thought that I would like that would stay within reasonable budget in an accessible location. So we're going to have some wonderful barbecue and some mac and cheese, and there would be some tables set up with a few different board games so that you know, everybody can be involved. And then there would be ice cream at the end. Nice and low-key. Nothing too extreme. So the first three people planning, that's what they came up with. Then the fourth person arrived, who, to prove that this is a made-up story, this is a gender-neutral person. There is no such thing as a gender-neutral person, but for the sake of my made-up story, this is a they. Not a he or a she, it's a they. So they had been busy planning. They said, hey guys, there's this new aquarium that opened up in Staten Island. And it has a shark encounter exhibit. It's only, it's only like $400 per person. And you can swim with real sharks. And we're not talking nurse sharks either. We're, we're talking bull sharks and great whites. This is going to be awesome. It's so cool. I just did it last weekend. That's why I wasn't at church. <laughs> And after we send Andy to swim with the sharks, we're going to go to this amazing tofu restaurant. They have this amazing, super spicy tofu. The way it burns when it's going down is unreal. You've got to try it. 
The best part is people can even bring their dogs to this restaurant. There's dogs everywhere. They're like jumping on your lap and everything. It's great. They jump on you while you're eating. It's so fun. Then, after we do that, then we're going to go to this brand new uh, thing that, that has started. It just opened at the American Copper Building. Do you know? Raise your hand if you know about the American Copper Building. Okay, so it's a building. It's kind of two buildings with a bridge in between on the east side down in like around 34th Street. So the American Copper Building, it has two buildings, a little bridge between them, bungee jumping. So after we get done at the spicy tofu restaurant, then we're going to go bungee jumping. It'll be great. I'll book the 11.30 p.m. time slot. Since it's Saturday night, we don't want to be out too late because Andy has to preach next morning. So in this scenario, you have the three people who are like, well, let's have some barbecue. And then, then, then walks in the, the they who says, here's this plan and we're going to do it. Bulldozing everyone saying, this is what's going to happen. Now, just in case you feel convicted, I don't know why you'd feel convicted because I just made all of that up. If you think I'm talking about you, to the best of my knowledge, that scenario I just described has not happened. But if you feel guilty, please reread verse 25 which says that there is no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. In my silly made-up story, the first three had care. The fourth one didn't. You can apply this in your own circles, in your own ways. But the priority is to, to show care for one another, particularly the weak, particularly the lowly, particularly the people that aren't going to advocate for themselves. The one who's not going to speak up when you say we should go to the spicy tofu restaurant that nobody wants to go to. So let's prayerfully make this our priority, that there be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care for one another. Uh, Let's consider verse 26. Uh, kind of quickly. Um, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The suffering of the body. The reason why when one part, when one, one member of the body suffers, the rest of the body suffers is because there is this unity in the body and there is a connection, a genuine connection from one part to the other. The united body feels pain when functioning properly, when afflicted. So the human body is designed with sensory organs which can feel pain. The sense of touch is most vital to this. Your nerves are attached to your spinal cord which connects to your brain so that when you stub your toe or you cut your finger, a signal of pain makes it back to your brain which sends a return signal to do certain things about the pain, such as hop around on one foot or squeeze your finger or or do something about your broken toe. But if there's nerve damage, the wounded appendage doesn't necessarily send the proper signal to the brain. Or it sends the signal, but it doesn't get there because, well, you have a spinal injury. Or perhaps the signal gets there, but the signal is then extremely exaggerated. For example, another baby illustration. My son bumps his head, screams like there's no tomorrow. At times, pausing even to see if you're still watching. And then he'll resume his screaming. But let's just say that there's no nerve damage, there's no overactive nerves, there's no hypersensitivity. It's just a normal functional nerve. So when one part of the body is sending off a signal that, hey, something is just wounded here, the whole body feels it. The whole body suffers. This is why it's so important to be connected to the local body. This is why you cannot function in a healthy way as a Christian who refuses to commit to one particular local church. The way that we know that you're part of the universal church is because you're part of the local church. This is also why it's essential to share your burdens with one another. Now, don't take that in a a weird way. Please be careful both how much you share 
and how little you share. And with whom you share. You, you should, it would be foolish to have the same exact relationship with every single person in this church. Some people in this church have the gift of wisdom. And other people don't. But let's say you have a chronic illness. Your small group probably should know. You probably should tell them. Without them prying and pressing, you should probably just say, hey guys, I'm going to have to miss next week because I'll be doing an overnight thing at the hospital. I'll be hooked up to all these machines to check my brain to see why I keep having seizures. If that's you, I think that you're sinning against yourself and your small group by not telling them. I think you ought to tell the people closest to you because when one part of the body suffers, the whole suffers and the others cannot care for you if they don't know. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying make it the me show. I'm not saying you know, be weird about these things or even um, inappropriate, but the idea of just keeping stuff to yourself and being strong is, is, is not healthy. You're likely harming yourself by withholding that information from those who could and would help you. And they would support you in ways, in various ways. They would pray for you. Also, please recognize that if you are in a small group and your attitude about the burdens of others in your small group is an attitude of indifference, you have a sinful attitude that you need to repent from. Now, yes, there are people that try to make everything the me show, and so you're just sitting like, okay, here we go again. Last week it was the thing. This week it's the thing. It's been like this for the last 16 weeks. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is it comes time for prayer requests, and you sigh, (sighs) roll your eyes, cross your arms across your chest, start looking for your shoes. You're like, I'm going to go because I'm not interested in hearing about so-and-so's dad who has cancer. I just don't care. If that's you, that's a sinful attitude. And you need to repent from that. And you, you might say, oh, well, Andy, I just, I don't care. I don't care to be bothered by the burdens of my brothers and sisters in Christ. I would say to you, can, can you pause? Can you repeat that real quick and just listen to yourself? Hear what you're saying. You don't care to be bothered by the burdens of your brother or sister in Christ? It should actually cause you to weep with those who weep, not as an act, but you actually care about the person who tells you that they were diagnosed with cancer. The Bible says this is how they will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. The Bible says in Matthew 25, whatever you did to the least of these my brothers, you did unto me. If one member suffers, all suffer. But not just that. It's not just bad news. There's also good news. If one member is honored, then all the members rejoice with it. We don't just weep with those who weep. We do that, certainly. But we also rejoice with those who rejoice. So when you have good news... Please share that information with others. Please tell them when, hey, you got the positive test results back or you passed your exam or you're about to graduate with honors or you're getting the promotion. Please tell other people because it's their job. God has has told them to celebrate the successes and the, the, the joys within the body of Christ. So this is the reason why, quote-unquote, just fellowship groups or just social groups, which it's not just, but these things are essential. Because where else do you have time to share with your covenant community, the body of Christ, your joys and your sorrows? You don't have time for that on Sunday. You might be able to have one legitimate conversation with one other person before they have to leave, and then you're like, oh, well, 
There's hardly time to do that on Sundays. You have to make time during the week. Oh dear, it's 11.56. Point three. Members of the body are gifts to the body. Verses 27 through 31. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church first apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Are all workers of miracles? No. Do you have... Do all have the gift of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. In case you're wondering, all those no's that I just put in, those those are the answers that are rhetorically implied by the Apostle Paul. But earnestly desire the best gift, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. That's 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, which we may or may not talk about next week. We'll see. The question that he's raising, he's not begging it, but he's raising the question, do all have the same gift? The answer, no. But all people, all Christians are gifted. So what this means is that you, if you're a Christian, you are a gift to the church. Have you ever thought of yourself that way? Now, the, I don't know if I should say this, the the narcs in the room would say, well, yes, I think about that every single day. But I mean, the narcissist, the person who's like, I'm obsessed with myself. I think about myself every single day and how I am the greatest who ever lived. I think that way every day. I view myself as a gift. LOL, not you. I'm not talking about you. You're a gift to the church that you left. (laughs) Trenton, I'm glad you got that. Um, (laughs) God has given... (laughs) Luke's also running on on less sleep tonight or today. Um, So God has given you, as a Christian, special abilities to bless the people around you as a gift. The kindness of his grace he has lavished upon us, and he has done this through a variety of means and methods, but one of the primary methods of distributing grace is through his people. If you're super annoyed with everything I just said, just just think about the words I just just said. God has given his people, special abilities to bless those around them as gifts. The kindness of his grace, which he has lavished on us, has been done through a variety of means and methods, and one of the primary methods of distributing his grace to the church is through his people. So I would ask, are you a giver of the grace of God through the means of your gifts and abilities? There's basically two types of people out there. There's givers and there's takers. A lot of the takers think they're givers. The givers think they don't give enough. Are you a giver of the grace of God through the means of your gifts and abilities? That the kindness of Jesus would flow out of your heart. The kindness of Jesus would flow out of your face, from your mouth, from your words, from your smile, from your eyes of kindness, through your fingertips. Not through hands to harm, but hands to serve and to give. Not with words to degrade and to tear down, but words to build up and to encourage. Not with eyes of scorn and hatred, but eyes to see and to care. Not with a cold, stony heart, but of compassion and sacrificial love. Why is all of this the case? Because it's what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus has demonstrated this to the greatest possible degree on the cross when Jesus gave himself as a gift for our redemption. We don't redeem people through our sacrifice. But when we sacrifice because Jesus died for us, something of his grace flows through us. And you can feel it. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that Jesus has given and given and sacrificed for our sake. He has given himself to us. And now we who live in him can live to bless others as gifts of grace which you have given to your church. I pray that you would cause us to be humble people, selfless people, not prideful, not selfish, not demanding, but sacrificing and serving and giving. Lord, I thank you for the gifts of the body. I thank you for this church. I thank you for PBC. It is a very gifted body of believers that serve and sacrifice in countless ways. Lord, I pray that this message would be helpful and encouraging to them. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.